Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. With the burden of illegal immigration resting on local governments, Arizona's governor used $6 million in state funds to fill in gaps along their border with Mexico. Now the White House is ordering Governor Ducey to reopen them. But the Biden administration previously authorized two contracts for U.S. Customs and Border Protection to close gaps in Arizona's border wall. NTD's Melina Wisecup is reporting from Yuma, Arizona, along the border. More than 100 of these shipping containers are acting as a makeshift border wall between the U.S. and Mexico. And we're told that they do play an important role in helping to ease some of the burden on the Border Patrol agents because the illegal immigrants then coming over from Mexico are funneled in specific areas where Border Patrol can then focus on. But the Biden administration is now asking Arizona's governor to remove the shipping containers, saying that they're placed in unauthorized locations and that it's a violation of federal law. The administration also argues that this could inhibit the further construction of the actual border wall. But Arizona's governor is pushing back and bucking Washington, saying that he just can't trust the administration to take this issue seriously moving forward after a year and a half of inaction. Because this is the Morales Dam, and people used to arrive by bus um, on a daily basis every single morning, and we would get two to three hundred here every day um, because they could just walk straight in and then walk across. So the gotaways averaged three thousand a week, and now they're down to about one thousand after the shipping containers. It gives Border Patrol the operational advantage. They don't have complete control, but they have the advantage. Uh, because every time they make a move, then there's a counter move by the cartels and the people that are trafficking these large groups of people. Um, but yeah, while, while they're busy with all of these people, then they start pushing more narcotics through the, through the uh, unoccupied areas of the desert. And to further discuss the ongoing crisis at our southern border, we had a chance to sit down with Sheriff Mark Lamb of Penal County, Arizona. Here's a look. Sheriff Lamb, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sheriff, uh, obviously, state of Arizona, a border state. Uh, this is uh, an ongoing issue. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing and sensing in the state of Arizona right now? Well, not only is it ongoing, it's worsening every day. The situation is just getting worse and worse. Um, in Arizona, the people are frustrated, to be honest with you. And I think uh, I hope to see it play out in the, in the voting this time, because that's one of the ways we're going to be able to fix what's going on in this country. Um, border security is a, is a major issue, not just for Arizona. My message that I always share is this is, a, this is not a red or blue issue. It's not an Arizona or Texas issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue that has, to, that has an impact on all the 50 states of this, of this country, or of, this, of America. What are your thoughts? We're seeing states like uh, Texas and Florida um, busing illegal aliens to, to other cities because they can't handle it. What, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? You know, first and foremost, I'm an American. I don't think this problem should be, um, I, I don't want to see any city have to deal with it. But at the same time, it's the federal government's responsibility and they're failing to secure the border. So what are these states to do? They don't have the, the capacity or the bandwidth to be able to deal with all the illegal immigrants that are coming across, people crossing illegally. So I, I love it. I think it's great that they're sending these people to sanctuary cities where they've said, look, we're going to take these people with open arms. Okay, here you go. I think that's the best way to do it. And clearly, this is the most we've talked about border security 
illegal, uh, you know, people coming to this country illegally than we have in the whole two years of this administration. So when it comes to policy, I mean, the Trump administration in 2018 was facing a similar crisis and they were proactive about it. So if you watch mainstream media, you would think that everybody's hands are tied, everybody's doing as much as they can. Uh, what practical um, steps could be taken? Well, I'm here to tell the American people that's not true. They're not doing everything they can. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're basically uh, handcuffing the Border Patrol agents and the CBP and the ICE agents. Uh, their open border policies are bringing so many people to the border that basically these guys have become babysitters. And it's allowed for the human trafficking and the drug trafficking to be at an all-time high. I mean, the cartels are making more money now than they ever have. And so what we've got to do is we've got to secure the border. And the, the easiest way to do that is to go back to the Trump era policies. Those were the most effective we've seen in a long time. They worked. Put their pride aside. Go back to those policies. And then we can start working from there. But let's get back to the things that we know that worked. Remain in Mexico. I know that they fought against that. That was a good policy. Having Mexico as a good partner, their military on the other side of the wall, working to help secure not only our side but their side. Um, these were policies that were effective. Sending people back that don't have legitimate claims for asylum and, and securing and building the wall. I mean, there's so much to it. Um, but yes, we've got to get back to better policies. And the easiest way is to just go back to what we know was working uh, before these guys took office. Sheriff Lamb, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Welcome back to NTD's Capital Report. I'm Steve Lance. The global threat the CCP poses to the world continues to mount. A new report by the Heritage Foundation raising concerns over a receding U.S. military while China making gains. To assess the situation, we had a chance to speak with retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood. Here's a look. Dakota Wood, thank you so much for joining us. What a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the uh, conversation. Dakota, the report released by the Heritage Foundation raising concerns about China's growing military. Um, just how serious do you think this is? Well, numerically, it's very concerning. I mean, just as an example, we've got fewer than 300 ships in the U.S. Navy. Of those, there are 100 at, at sea on any day. Of that 100, about 60 are in the Western Pacific. The Chinese Navy alone is 360 ships. So just in numbers, I mean, even if our ships are far better than theirs, it's still a six to one disadvantage. They're operating uh, within 100 miles or so of their coastline. Our guys and gals are 6,000 miles from home. So they've got a, land, a lot of land-based resources they can bring to a naval fight. We don't have uh, similar sorts of capabilities. So it's just, it's one example of how time and distance and numbers really matter when it comes to forces opposing each other in combat. Dakota, I want to ask you about this term that we often hear nowadays uh, in reference to the CCP, and it's called hybrid warfare. Uh, if you could tell us if, what is hybrid war and uh, has the CCP been conducting uh, hybrid warfare? Absolutely. You know, there are critics of that term that say, look, all warfare is hybrid war. You've got a propaganda component. You've got uh, you know, attacks on resources and communications and influence campaigns. And, and that stuff, it just features across time. But, but what it means when we're using it in this context is you can envision military forces going against each other, as we are seeing in Ukraine with Russia, Russia's invasion or assault on Ukraine, conventional warfare. 
Today, though, can you use satellite systems you know, to blind or dazzle? Can you feed bad information into their command and control networks so they don't get a clear picture? Uh, cyber intrusions, uh, not necessarily maybe turning something off, which you can do, but can you manipulate things in a way, you know, corrupt information? There is a global influence campaign that goes on. You can use trade relationships and the promise of access to your market as China does. You know, with a billion person market, it's very attractive for companies in Europe and the Middle East and Asia to want to do business deals with China. So when they harness all of those aspects in this greater global competition with the United States, it's a hybridization. You know, it's bringing together lots of different pieces. And I just don't think we're as effective in that uh, as the Chinese seem to be. When it comes to many of the things that you mentioned, uh, one thing is the global influence, uh, CCP's subversion of our society, which some might argue is the most effective. How do you stop this uh, ideology, which is at the core of everything they do? Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's a lack of um, seriousness, I think, on the on the American part. So if you're going to have a Chinese engineering student working on very advanced technologies, is that Chinese student going to stay here in the United States, you know, to do things that are good for our market and economy and, you know, academic advancements and those sorts of things? Or does he go back home and, and better enable China to compete with us where we have spent all the money on research and development, and yet they're getting the benefit. You know, are they porting that information and intellectual, intellectual property and back to China? So there is a huge component in American um, academia and our university systems and our research labs, and even in our business community, that just doesn't believe that China poses some kind of existential threat. You know, that this is a bunch of fear mongering, that the risk really isn't something to be concerned about, or if it is, that it's years and years down the road. And in the meantime, we can be making a lot of profit or making advances. So I think on our side, these influence campaigns, the penetration of our markets uh, with Chinese companies, and especially on the technology side, you're really running a risk of giving away important information and making their economy and their technology sector much more capable than it otherwise would be. Dakota Wood, really appreciate your perspective. Great pleasure. Thanks for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.